0: adopted us into sonship some amazing stuff he talks about he kind of knowing that we are sinful knowing we've messed up he is saying there is something jesus has done and we have been made aware of that means although we are sinners we have been given something glorious in Christ. We have been given our salvation and we have a guarantee of our salvation in the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing, amazing letter. He goes on to talk about how he's been made alive in Christ. He talks loads in this letter about unity, about people that were never united, Jew and Gentile being one in Christ. He talks to husband and wife serving each other, families, children, men and women, slave and slave master. He's talking to a whole group saying you You are united and made the same with unity in Christ. It's a wonderful, wonderful letter, very short letter that he writes to this church. And here we are at Ephesians 6 verse 10, where Paul gets real as he ends it. I mean, he's got real the whole way through, don't get me wrong. But here he really helps us realise, hey, we are in a spiritual battle. You know, we've talked so much through this series about how this is a revolution, This is revolutionary. Everything Paul is talking about, he is totally countercultural cultural for, for the culture then and for our culture now. But it is a revolution of total peace. It's not one that's looking to overthrow any government. It's not looking to destroy people but to save them. But Paul does end it reminding us we are in a war. We are in a war and you have an enemy that hates you. That wants to see your destruction, wants to see your demise, and wants to see you deceived. And Paul doesn't beat around the bush, so neither will I. And I think it's important in our culture that doesn't generally, is quite sceptical to anything spiritual, that we talk real about this, you know? That there is such a thing as the devil, there is such a person as Satan, and he hates you. He genuinely hates you. And the only thing he clings to is that he, can dece- he wants to deceive you and has been quite successful about that, particularly in our culture and in our country. But we stand in something far greater and we have a greater power behind us. So let's look at what Paul is talking about here. So let's just read it together. I'll put it on the screen, but it'd be great if you uh, uh, turn to Ephesians, 10, uh, Ephesians 6 verse 10. So he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. Let's leave it there for now, and we'll kind of continue in the rest. Paul, straight away here, is saying, after he's encouraged everyone, after he's reminded them who they are, after he's reminded them what they have in Christ, he's saying, now take your stand. There is nothing defensive in what Paul writes here. This doesn't come from a place of fear. This doesn't come from a place of um, kind of worry or a place of a need to take ground. He's saying, stand There's no defensive speak in Paul's attitude here. He keeps saying, stand, stand, stand your ground, stand, stand firm then. Because Paul knows that us being strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, he has dedicated so many pages to it that we are standing in the victory of Jesus Christ. Do you know, Satan, the Bible calls him, Paul calls him in 2 Corinthians, the God of this world, little g God. Do you know, he is allowed to have Dominion to have some, some, he's allowed to roam here. He's given some freedom. And his biggest trick, his biggest schemes, it's not even a kind of fight. Paul talks about it being his schemes, is that he's a liar, he's a deceiver, he is deceitful. And he wants to tell you that God isn't real, or worse than that, he wants to make you complacent that you feel you're saved without putting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That somehow you can save yourself. See, the devil. Very rarely, except for a few occasions in the power, does God give him permission to do actual harm to someone. But right from the beginning, he was lying to humanity. Right there in the Garden of Eden to Eve, he's saying to her, did God really say... Did God really say this thing, putting straight away doubt into God's word? Is that what he really means? There is something better. If you eat this fruit, you will know all knowledge. No, it won't lead to death and destruction. Right at the beginning, you see his lie because we know everything that happens after that. So from the word go, the devil is a deceiver. He is a liar. He breathes lies. God is the opposite. The Bible tells us that God cannot lie. He is truth and he is the embodiment of truth. And so this is where Paul starts when he talks of the um, armour of God. He says, Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the sword of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Let's break this apart a little bit. So where Paul starts... So he's quite helpful. I was hearing Phil talk on this. And... Um, Phil, like loves history and he loves all the kind of his bits. And I hadn't always seen it this way. Paul seems to go straight for military gear. But of course, Paul was sitting in prison at this point, in a Roman prison, writing this letter. So he's looking out at Roman guards. So when he's thinking of this battle, when he's thinking of this fight we're in, and he's thinking, if he just uses, there is a soldier, there's his armour. Let me use that analogy to explain the tools that we have been given by Jesus Christ in this spiritual battle we're walking in. And he starts with a belt. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist. And it does seem like a weird place to start the belt because, I don't know about you, but when you're talking about shields, when you're talking about swords, when you're talking about helmets, the belt isn't generally the thing I think of in terms of an armour. I mean, these chars don't even have a belt, just a bit of strings enough to hold them up. Like, it's not generally what you think of as something as yeah, that's me ready for battle, let me put on my belt first. <laughs> but, for the Roman armor, actually, I didn't even notice. It makes sense. But the belt holds the whole armor together. Like literally, it's the thing you put on to clink it all together. Without that, none of it stays secure. None of it holds on. Paul starts there because actually it's one of the most important parts of the armor for a Roman centurion. And Paul says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist. You see, Paul is so aware of exactly who the devil is, that he is a liar. And the only way to combat his lies is to stand in the truth of the gospel, stand in the truth of God. Because the devil wants, there's two things the devil wants you to know, uh, wants you to think. One, that he doesn't exist. That's his greatest deception, that there is no spiritual realm, there is no spiritual forces. The devil doesn't exist and it's ridiculous. He loves To pray in the shadows. He would love you to think there's nothing to worry about. You can do whatever you want. Because he knows that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. So If he convinces you there's no spirituality, well then he he has managed to win you to destruction. That's his idea. He wants you to go to hell. He wants you to not know of who Jesus is or not have any need for that. It's his great deception. And our world's kind of fine with lies. We don't mind that, in it. We even we know we get lied to, especially in our culture, in it. I don't know if you ever watch politicians or on the news. Generally, when you go to vote or you look at someone, quite often nowadays, it's who's lied to me a little bit less. Like we kind of know politicians when they when they come up with their manifesto. They're not going to stick to the whole thing. Like they're not going to kind of go against every other wish, but we kind of have accepted that in our culture. Do you know, even social media, we know half of the stuff we look at at social media isn't true. We're used to being lied to. We kind kind of don't mind and quite often we accept it and believe the lies um, because we accept some kind of an image of something, of something of reality, of something that we want to crave, something we want to go after that just isn't true. And the the greatest thing the devil wants to um, make you believe especially if you're a Christian, is that Jesus does not have the power to save. Worse than that, Jesus does not have the power to save you. Your sin is too great, or what you have done is too bad, or you cannot be loved enough. He loves to get Christians into that place, or get you into believing there's something better out there for you. Man, Christianity is a bunch of religious rules. This is the lie I believed for a long time. Now, it's a boring bunch of rules and there is something far better in the world than following Jesus. Whereas Jesus says, no. I'm offering you life and life to the full. The stuff of this world will just lead to destruction. But I'm offering you eternity in heaven where there is no sin, there's no suffering, there's no sickness. Don't have yourself chained to this world. You see, the devil's, like as um." Uh, who was it earlier? I can't remember if it was you, Molly, or um, no, Stephen. When Stephen came forward and said, Satan means accuser. Yeah, the other thing he loves to do to Christians is accuse you and say, Your sin is too great and you're going to hell. And it's because he's, he's kind of got a point. We know right at the beginning that we cannot save ourselves. Right at the beginning of the Bible, man's thought is that they're a sinner. Yeah? So when Satan accuses us and says, you're, you, Because you are sinful, you can't attain heaven, there is actually an element of truth to that. Because at our starting place, we cannot attain our own salvation. And that was the greatest power he had over humankind, was that whatever kind of... Rules God gave us, whatever ways God said to attain your salvation or to work for, the devil knew he could tempt you away from it. So God's greatest power and where he won his greatest victories, he came as a human to live among us. You see, Jesus came as fully human to live the life that we needed to live. And this is where we have our greatest hope because as Jesus came and lived on the earth, the devil thought, right, if I can defeat Jesus... Mankind is screwed. So when Jesus walked into the desert, into the, wilderness, into the wilderness, to walk, to fast, to pray, to spend time with God, Satan himself turned up to Jesus to accuse him, to challenge him, to tempt him in every way that he does us. But in every moment, Jesus stood against it, against hunger. He didn't give in. And when the devil was saying, I will give you the world. I will give you all things under your feet. Jesus didn't fall for it. He didn't give in to the devil's accusations, his temptations, he stood against sin. So Satan used his next greatest weapon, which was to destroy and kill Jesus. To lie and persuade others he isn't who he says he is. And to see him die. How can you come back from death? That's his trump card. But Jesus even defeated that. Defeated death. And more than that, he took the full punishment. Because of his perfect life he lived, he took the full punishment for our sin. So, Paul starts with that saying, Stand firm then in the belt of truth. Don't let yourself be deceived that there's something better than what Jesus has to offer. Don't let yourself be deceived that you're the one sinner that has done too much sin for the power of the cross. Don't let yourself be deceived that there's even a battle for us to fight or us to stand in. We're standing in a victory. We're standing in the victory of Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in him, you are already saved. You are already won. There's already heaven and salvation ahead of you. Jesus has won the fight. We stand firm in his victory. Not in the upcoming impending battle of um, kind of victory or defeat. We're already standing in victory. The battle we stand for is for everyone else who doesn't yet stand in that victory. We're not fighting for our salvation. Jesus has done that. So I tell you then, is the word of God your most powerful weapon? Is it the place you start every day? Is it the place you go to to fill yourself with truth? So that while you are hearing the lies of the enemy and just the lies that the world tells, you have a solid, firm foundation of truth as your starting point. Let me go on. He says, take up the shield of faith of which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The, uh, this shield, um, again, I learned this from Phil. Um, Roman shields, yeah, they, they are designed with like multiple layers of wood with like, little gaps in them. And the reason they have that is because quite often flaming arrows were used to kind of take people out. But actually, if they take one in the shield, then it just extinguishes it. Because of these different layers of um, wood, it extinguishes flaming arrows instantly. So it doesn't cause any damage to them. But more than that, the Romans had this um, amazing strategy where these shields kind of almost covered your whole body, um, but actually, if they stood all together in what was called a phalanx to go to battle, they were impenetrable. The whole kind of walk to the, they get to the point where they take out their swords to have a fight. Arrows would normally be shot at that point. Let's try and take out as many of them as you can before they get there. If they stand shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, with these shields around above their head to their side, they were impenetrable. It was like a turtle. You couldn't get them. You couldn't break through their defense. And Paul, through his whole letter, is talking about the unity of the church. So it's no coincidence that he chooses to use a Roman shield as an example here for the shield of faith that we stand with. Because it's, you're not in isolation. That is another lie the enemy will try to do to you. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But you are not on your own in this fight. You are surrounded by other people here who love Jesus. Why do you come to church? Because you need to be encouraged. You need to stand shoulder to shoulder with people through the highs and through the lows. We're real in this place and we be honest because life isn't easy. But that's why we stand together and shoulder this stuff. When the enemy's firing arrows at you, he's firing arrows at me. He's firing arrows at our other brother and sister. And together we stand and we take them and we hold each other. That is why you need to be part of a life group. So important that you're part of a life group. They're not just social gatherings during the week. They're little um, phalanxes of people coming together, um, shoulder to shoulder, and walking through life together, the highs and the lows in prayer, in scripture, in teaching, in learning. Man, you need to join one of these groups and you need to prioritize Sundays. That is what Paul is saying here in his shield of faith. It isn't. The, um, the whole point of that the, the Roman army was so successful is because they stood together. So if Paul is using this as an example, as a Roman shield, then he's telling us to stand together through this as well. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Quite often the Bible talks a lot about our heart and our mind, guarding our heart and guarding our mind. So the enemy wants to wreck your heart. He really does. There's a real battle for the heart and of the mind that goes on all the time. He wants to see you destroyed through multiple relationships. He wants to see you give away loads of yourself. He wants you to feel isolated. He wants you to feel alone. He wants you to feel you have no friends in church. He wants you to feel you have no place here. He wants you to feel because of your race or your culture that somehow you don't belong. He wants you to feel because of your gender that somehow you're worth less than someone else. He wants you to feel because of some of your sin that somehow that casts you out. And it's a lie. Paul tells you here, protect your heart and protect your mind (laughs) with these spiritual armor because they're lies and the devil wants to destroy your heart and your mind. Do you know, even um, doubting. Doubting's fine. It's okay to, to doubt bits that you read. In fact, it's good, depending what you do with it. It's great to ask questions of what you read in Scripture. Scripture has so much weird bits in it, you know, that need context and need kind of um, breaking apart and needs challenging. But if you let your doubts go straight to a place that God isn't real or something like that, follow straight down that hole, then man, you've gone to the wrong place with it. Don't let them just build up on you, but talk to people about them. Because again, the enemy is constantly working at your mind to doubt who God says he is. Fight it. And the last two bits he talks about are, fit in your, uh, have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I love that he includes these two bits here. Because Paul is very much saying here, we are not on a defensive. We're not just putting our armor on because of an incoming battle where we might get knocked out. He's saying we're on the offensive we are standing in the victory. You see, I don't know if you played football before, but there's a reason why footballers that play on grass pitchers have studs in their boots. Because they'll just slip all over the place. But they're ready. With their studs, they can take ground. They can, they can dig themselves in for the tackle. They can dig themselves in to run forward. Even if the ground's muddy and slippery, that's the reason they wear those shoes. Paul is saying here, be fitted with the shoes of... Um, with, well, it would have been sandals, wouldn't it? But here... <laughs> He's saying, be, and with the feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. He's saying, know the gospel and be ready and stand firm then against everything that comes against you. And have the sword of the spirit. We are in Jesus' victory and we cannot lose. So therefore, go on the offensive. Do you know, one of the most challenging things I've had when I've um, been preparing this message is that I realized... um, Because Paul ends this, let me get back to the scripture. Paul ends here by saying, pray in the spirit on all occasions, with all kind of prayers and requests. And the most challenging thing I found in this is that I realized I don't pray like I used to. And I don't think I go into each day ready for battle like I used to. Yeah, so this used to be the passage I based my life on. Every single morning, before I worked for the church, every single morning when I went to uh, the company I worked for, it was a big open plan office. And that me filled with loads of people. And I used to walk to work. And every morning, I'd pray Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 20. Every morning, I'd pray through it. So aware that I'm going to war that there was going to be a spiritual battle that I'm about to walk into. One, I knew I was going to be tempted from every single angle. And I really desired to live godly. I wanted to pursue God. I wanted to be godly in my workplace. And man, I was desperate to see people know Jesus. It has to be our biggest passion and our greatest desire. I was desperate for people to know him. So I said, Lord, you've got to help guard me then. I was in sales. I knew I'm going to be tempted all the time to lie. To make a bit of financial advantage. Little white lies, you know. There's little things you can lie that kind of aren't a full lie. They're just a little bit not quite true. Um, But it's going to get the sale. And it's going to make me some extra commission. Tempted all the time with that. And that was part of my prayer. Lord, will you guard me? To keep me humble. To keep me honest. Man, I was working in a place that had a real kind of flirty culture about it, you know. And I'm going into that place knowing I'm going to find this culture hard. Do you know, girls are free to dress however they want. But I know I'm going to find it difficult how some of the girls dress in that place. I just know that's going to be a battle for me. It's not a criticism on them, but it's an awareness of me. That, man, Lord, you need to help me protect my mind. You need to help guard me. I'm a married man. But more than that, I want to honor you and how I respond to these people and how I react around my colleagues. Do you know, it's a real flirty culture. You know, a harmless bit of flirting. God, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to just be like everyone else. I want to be different. Your Bible tells me to honour women as a sister. Man, will you let me honour them as a sister? So not even jokingly. I knew that was going to be a temptation. I knew it would be difficult. So that's part of my prayer. And they had a massive drinking culture in that workplace. You know, Friday, as soon as we, uh, um, five o'clock came around, they called it beer o'clock, a beer came around while you're still working, while you're at your desk, and that was just the start. So you've had a beer then before you go to the pub, before you go out. And I knew for me, drinking was an issue. Like I just, part of my kind of, the whole time i have been away was real party culture. So I knew, man, this is going to be a struggle to be godly and to not be given over to drunkenness in this workplace. Lord, will you protect me? But more than that, I used to end each of these prayers by saying, Lord, will you let me go in with the sword of the Spirit, which is your word? And will you, let me see, will you let me have wonderful conversations about the gospel in my workplace? Will you let me share your word that will see people come to you, that will see this workplace change? Every morning I prayed like that. And every morning I stood strong in my integrity and in how I was supposed to be. I didn't lie to get ahead like all the other people, yet I still got promoted. Yet I still um, done well in my work. Yet I still managed to sell loads by being just honest, and just finding the good bits about the product to talk about and (laughs) put out. It was a good company. It wasn't hard to sell it. But um... and every single day that I prayed a prayer like that, I got an opportunity to talk about Jesus, and it wasn't forced and it wasn't awkward, but it was intentional and it was one God clearly had created. Someone would come to me with a question. Someone would see me reading my Bible. You know, someone would, would encounter something that I'm doing or something that I've said, and we'd want to talk about it, and I'd get to share the gospel. And I saw people come to church, I saw advancing the kingdom. And what was brilliant is I found other men and women of peace in that place, other Christians in that workplace. And together we would stand together, we'd meet together, we'd pray together for our workplace, for our office. We wouldn't be secret about it. In our different departments, we'd be serving God, and people would start to know that we were Christians and they would start to pick up there was something quite similar about us but different, were unique but something quite consistently wonderful about how we were and how we served that place and they come to recognise there's something to us a few of us happened to go to we all went to this church together and it meant when one of us said will you come with us the other said yeah oh wow I've met a few people like that that go to this church I'm interested what is your prayer like life because I think the biggest thing that's challenged me I'm saying this like look at me how great it is I don't pray like that anymore And when I realized that, it cut me to pieces because I think I've been deceived. Somehow by working with loads of Christians and being around with other people in this workplace, something has obviously dulled in me, a sharpness in me that's dulled away. Somehow I've got complacent. I'm surrounded by people that aren't saved, yet somehow I don't pray in that same way anymore. And I felt so deeply challenged and I felt I had to share it. I preach so often to you guys. And I don't want to give you some impression that I'm some perfect guy that's got this stuff together. I'm a work in progress, but I am sure of who I am and who I am in Christ. So I feel secure enough to share that stuff with you, to say that, man, I'm standing with you as imperfect, but also as challenged as I hope you are, to every day say, Lord God, I put on the armour of God. I stand with you in your victory, Lord, and I want to see your kingdom advance and your kingdom come, and I want to see more people come to you because we're going to go from this place just as people were at the end of reading this letter and the attack is going to carry on happening do you know the enemy is going to carry on lying to you he's going to carry on making you comfortable with where you're at he's going to carry on making you satisfied with how life is going he's going to carry on making you quite happy not to share the gospel of your friends and even not be that mindful that the fact that means they're going to hell if they don't know who Jesus is He wants us to be complacent. Worse than that, there will be people that will come to church that haven't yet given their whole lives over to Jesus and say, you are Lord, because the devil has made you complacent enough that you can earn your own salvation somehow by just coming on a Sunday is enough. Friends, I tell you, Jesus has won a great victory for us. Every song we were singing today is true in every way but you've got to step into it and therefore stand firm. And I wonder if the band can come back up. Somehow, I don't think I've done this passage justice. There's like someone in me that just feels... Um, but that's all right, like we're human in it. Isn't it? And there's um, so much good that we've had across this series. And generally, I think the biggest reason I feel like there's something in it where I just haven't done it justice, and I don't know why, I can't quite pinpoint it, but I think there's a real desperateness in me, and there genuinely was all day, there's just real cry in my heart for everyone that will be here today. That there's just something better for us, you know. This is a real plea from Paul. Everything I've just shared with you, everything you've heard across this series, don't let it now just fade away and be stolen. Jesus warns when the gospel is being shared to people. He tells a parable of the seed being scattered on different ground. Seed that lands on ground and is eaten up. Seed that kind of gets its roots but swallowed up by weeds. And that there's only some seed that will go in the good soil and be rooted into people's hearts. Let's not think we're above the enemy stealing the treasure that we have heard across this whole series. There's something of a deep cry that we need to have out to say, Lord, I am yours. And all of us need to do that. Just this message alone has brought me to such humility to realize, man, I am such a work in progress. But Lord, I want to give more to you. I want to do more for your kingdom, Lord. Lord, I don't want to be complacent in what I've already seen. Lord, will you make me more uncomfortable for your gospel? How often do we pray like that? Because we're scared. We're scared of persecution that will come. We're scared of sticking out and we're scared of dreams that we've had not being fulfilled, whatever they are. But Paul's plead with you, if you have the greatest treasure you can ever, ever experience in this life, in Jesus Christ. And he tells you, stand firm in that victory. Don't let the great deceiver steal it from you. Don't let him steal these words from my lips that they just miss you. He says, stand firm in this victory. And more than that, let's walk in it. He's not called you to sit back and be complacent. He's given you the sword of the spirit, the word of God, to go out and see many more people know this truth and this wonderful treasure. That is my passion and my dream for this church and this service, that we would be people that would stand shoulder to shoulder for God's glory and his kingdom wherever he sends us. Whether we're here in this area forever, where he sends us to different areas, let us be people that wherever we go, the kingdom is heard, the gospel is heard, the kingdom advances. And we see more people join us in the kingdom of God when that day comes when Jesus returns. I'm going to pray. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, Lord, I'm blown away constantly that you would even choose me, Lord. But yet you do. How wonderful is your love? How vast is your love, Lord? That you would choose people like us, Lord. People that ain't perfect. People that are sinners and that will go on sinning. Yet you choose us. You love us. You revealed yourself to us. You have fought for us, Lord. You have won for us, Lord. You stand in victory, Lord. That whilst we're still sinners, your love was poured out for us. Lord, you shed your blood on that cross so that we can stand here in your victory and be called holy, be called righteous, be called sons. Lord, be given your inheritance that only belongs to you, Jesus. Why you ever came down to this earth and allowed yourself to be disgraced, I'll never understand. Apart from that, it's a love that is beyond comprehension, Lord. So Lord, I pray now against every lie the enemy has ever spoken against anyone here, Lord. I pray now in the name of Jesus, any lie that anyone has walked in here with will be broken now, Lord. Lord, any lie that someone's holding, that they're not good enough, Lord. That they're not pretty enough. That they're not skilled enough. Lord, will you break those lies now? They're a wonderful creation created intentionally by you, Lord. Anyone here that is feeling they've done too much sin or are beyond redemption, Lord, will you break that in them now? And let them see the power of your cross and the power of the victory you have won for us, Lord. Jesus, anyone that is here deceived by the world still, that there is something better than what you're offering, Lord. Lord, will you open the eyes of their hearts, Lord. Lord. Will you let them see you, Lord? Or will you let them see truth tonight, Lord Jesus, Lord? Lord, anything anyone's ever spoken over anyone, Lord? Any experience they have of an earthly father or parent, Lord, that isn't good? Lord, that makes it hard to relate to you as a good father. Will you break that in them now, Lord? And will you reveal yourself as the loving, good father, Lord, to them? Jesus and Lord will you light a fire in our hearts right now Lord this deep dissatisfaction at the world we see and the world we, we know and the world we hear about and we interact with Lord will you give us this deep dissatisfaction of the deception that's out in it Lord will you burn a new flame in our hearts Lord for your kingdom Lord Jesus will you give us such a just an unease about the amount of people we know and love that don't know you Lord Jesus Lord, will you ignite a flame in our heart for their souls, Lord? Jesus, will you not let us be content by what we've seen already, Lord? But know that there's more to come. Jesus, awaken us now, Lord Jesus. There is a revolution that began 2,000 years ago and that we still stand in, Lord. Will you let us be loud about it? We let us be confident in it, whatever is going to get thrown at us, Lord Jesus. Will you let us be fearless and will you let us stand firm, putting on the full armour of God. Standing in your truth, with our hearts and our minds guarded, with our feet ready and firm, Lord. To go with the sword of the Spirit, your word, to see truth brought into our nation, Lord. I pray you awaken your people right now in this room, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.